As we move and continue in Acts, it is, this to me, this is a terribly important sermon, but at the same time, I don't want to go terribly long because of the fa fact that we can be together as a family, so I don't want to miss out on that. But as we can conclude Acts 2, we see how people responded to this sermon of Peter's. Last week, we looked at what, uh, what Peter preached, and I could have just preached that. It would take me about three minutes to preach that sermon as it's written, amen. I heard that, amen. What did I say about adults not talking? That amen would have been a kid. We would have accepted it, but next time, tell your kid to say it. But the reality is, is that is just a portion of what Peter preached, and it's there for the flavor, giving us the outline and the idea of what he preached. And as you look at the sermon, it may not be remarkable. The sermon that I preached last week might not be earth-shattering, that if you were to put it on TV, people would just come to Jesus. But I want you to know that with the power of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God is still at work in the church, He is changing people's lives radically, and people are coming to salvation still. And we need to pray to that end and preach to that end. As I look back at the 40 years that I've walked with Jesus, I have had tons of conversations with people about a relationship with Jesus. And I would say that most, more people choose to reject Jesus, at least for the time, than accept him that I've talked to. And I've listed three things that people, you know, categories that people fall into for why they wouldn't accept the gospel. Why when hearing that Jesus died for their sins and has created a way, has paved a way for us to be saved, and that that would radically change our lives, here are the three reasons I've heard that people have responded with. I don't think I need saving. This is actually probably the most common one. I think I'm pretty good. I might need a nudge. I might need to go to church on Christmas and Easter. I'm not going to like it, but I'll go Christmas and Easter. And I want a small dose of Jesus to nudge me in the right direction and to add to my portfolio of goodness. I don't need Jesus. I don't think he would want me is the second one. This one surprised me. I was in high school the first time I heard it, and I was witnessing to a guy that I was working with, and he was in the druggie group. And he wasn't just in the druggie group. He was looking for the award for being the best at druggie. He was, he was scared, to be honest. He described to me how he was afraid to be alone how drugs were what medicated him. I mean, he confided in me, and he told me that he felt like demons were following. It wasn't that he didn't believe. He was petrified. But when asked, would you believe in Jesus, he said, and could not be moved on the subject, Jesus wouldn't want me. Jesus wouldn't want me. I'm too far gone. I'm so, you got one guy who's saying, I'm not really a sinner. Or my sin isn't that bad. And another one who's saying, my sin is so bad, if I went into a church, another person said, I would implode. That's a quote from another person. I had another friend that I brought to church, and he didn't make it to the sermon before he left and told me, I don't belong there. I'm not as good as those people. And I tried to convince him we weren't that good. <laughs> But he was having none of it. He would fish with me. He would work on his house with me, but he wouldn't go to church again. The third reason I think that people that I've heard why they won't respond to the gospel is I don't think I want him. I mean, they have never worded it that way to me, but what they're saying is if Jesus, if I become a Christ follower, he is going to mess up my friendships. He is going to mess up my Habits, he is going to mess up my work. He's going to want to change me. He's going to make me say sorry to my wife. And I don't want to do that. I don't want, I would like a Jesus that doesn't change me. I'll take him as Savior, but no changing. 
which, by the way, isn't a deal that he offered. So these three things keep a multitude of people away who actually believe in Jesus from trusting, from being saved. As we look at the response to Peter's sermon, it is miraculous. It is what we pray for. It is what I'm praying as we begin this passage. Turn with me to Acts 2, and we're going to read verses 37 through 47. Acts 2, verses 37 through 47. And then we'll pray after we've finished reading the Scriptures. Now remember, Peter has just concluded his sermon, and people have seen the Spirit of God descend in Jerusalem in dramatic fashion with the sound of wind and tongues of fire, and people are hearing their the gospel in their own languages, miraculously. And then Peter preaches, and here is the response. In verse 37 of chapter 2 of Acts, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness, continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your plan to save us is so remarkable and shocking that you would come into our crooked generation and come into the, that generation then and you would save in dramatic fashion by the gift of your son. Thank you. Father, we read the story today of your salvation descending on the people that were there in Jerusalem for Pentecost. I ask, Father, that you would save today. I ask that you would work in our hearts, that you would fire us up by the power of your Spirit to tell our friends and our family and our people that we work with this story of salvation that has so remarkably changed us. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the sermon is You Are Invited to Follow Jesus. That's a big statement. You were invited to follow Jesus. I don't know everybody here. How can I make such a bold statement? Because that's what the passage of this, that's what, that's what this passage is declaring, that we all are invited to follow Jesus. This invitation to follow Jesus is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 37 through 40. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What had they just heard? Peter's sermon was that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, highlighting the verse that says that you could be saved now. That Jesus is the promised heir, highlighting that the eternal nature of our salvation, that we will live on through eternity. And Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit as he promised. Those were the three points of his sermon. 
And as he pours out the Holy Spirit, life is given to us now. And the effects of this salvation, we don't have to wait for until we get to heaven. We are becoming his followers now and we are changed. That was his sermon. This guy who just weeks before had denied knowing Jesus and couldn't stand up for his faith, by the power of the Spirit, delivers a sermon that cuts people's heart to the quick. They heard this. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were in a, they were in a little bit of a problem. Some of the people that are here are the same people that proactively sought Jesus' crucifixion. Some of the people that, have, that are standing here saying, what can be done for me, are finding out now, we killed the wrong guy. We killed our Savior. We were his enemy. Is there anything for me? What can I do? Some of the people who are here had heard the stories of Jesus and they stood by passively while he died. They maybe, not, maybe they didn't hurl insults. Maybe they didn't cry out, crucify him. But precious few stood up and stood by him. Very few went to the tomb to see if he was, would rise. Most of the people that are there are guilty. And they have the boldness to ask, what should we do? What hope is there? And I would argue right here in verse 37, if these people who were saved this day and asked this question would have heard what I heard in high school when he said, I'm too far gone, Jesus wouldn't pick me, we would argue, well, you haven't met Jesus. Jesus loves you and died for you. He's the same guy on the cross who looked down on those people, maybe some of them now standing in front of Peter after he preaches, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's the heart of our Savior. Verse 38, Peter responds, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This isn't difficult. He's not, there's not some long list of things that they have to do. They don't have to start in, in Jericho and crawl on their knees to Jerusalem to pay for their sin. They don't have to go home and make right with their neighbors. They have to repent and be baptized. What does it mean to repent? Repent means that that guy who was scared that following Jesus would change my life was right. Following Jesus will change your life. Repent means that no longer will I be the Lord of my life and do what I want to do. I will now do what God wants me to do and follow him. Repent means that no longer will I align myself with the political systems of the day in Jerusalem, no longer am I interested in being popular in the temple. No longer am I afraid of losing face. I am going to now claim that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I don't care who knows that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ because I have repented, I have turned from who I was and become a disciple of Jesus. Repent. And I've been asked, how much do I have to repent? I want the minimum package, please. I'd like to repent a little, give him this much, but I'd like to keep the rest of that for me. I've worked hard to gain favor in the temple. If I claim to be a Christian, I won't be popular anymore. I will lose business. This is going to cost me. Repent. Turn. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. If you say you believe he is who he is, then repent and be baptized. So repentance, I want you to 
get a picture of the conflict of the day. This is only 50 days since Jesus has been crucified. This is only 50 days since the popular, by far, position is that Jesus is a criminal, worthy of death. And 50 days later, a gathering of people around these fishermen and tax collectors and followers of Jesus who the Spirit has descended on and radically changed their lives, they start telling the gospel. They just start talking about Jesus and explaining to them who Jesus is. And people are saying, I want, I want Jesus too. I'm switching sides. But I want you to know how dangerous this was. The, the streets were filled with people who still believed that Jesus was a criminal. The Pharisees hadn't changed their position. People are going to be beaten and people are going to be killed. I would argue that not one person in this room who follows Jesus has been beaten or had a loved one that was killed. Correct me after service if I'm wrong. And yet, what would make them follow Jesus in that kind of pressure? Why would they repent? Why would they be baptized? What does it mean to be baptized to go to the, the pool where people cleanse before they go into temple? They're going to be side by side with other Jewish people. They are going to proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ in a very public fashion. He's saying, I want you, it would be this the same thing as me being down here listening to this sermon and getting to the end of it and saying, if you want to be saved, I want you to get out of your chair and in front of everybody else, come up here and kneel and say, I choose to believe in Jesus. I don't care what any of you think. I just want to be in a right relationship with Jesus. They were saved. And we're still, many of us are still hedging our bets. I want to follow Jesus, but I really like to keep some things in a, that I'm not going to let him touch. I don't want people to dislike me. Two things, exhortations, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises are, you'll be forgiven. What is that forgiveness? That means if you yelled crucify him, forgiven, forgotten, done. If you were passive, forgiven, forgotten, done. If you failed in your marriage, if you failed as a parent, if you failed as a son or a daughter, if you struggled in business, if, you're, if people think you're a failure, if people think you're a success, it doesn't matter. We all come to the cross the same. He says, every one of you. Did you see that? The repent and be baptized, every one of you. And then in verse 39, the promise is for you and for your children, all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is a promise that extends through 2,000 years till today, and the promise stands the same. That Jesus has come and saved and it's not just for us who are adults, but the kids in this room, our prayer is that they would choose to follow Jesus. The youth in this room, I know the people in school and, and there's challenges that are telling you that Jesus isn't the... I know there's TV shows and movies that are telling you that Christians... I know politics are telling you that Christians are not desirable anymore. And in a way, good... Because now we're going to know if your faith is real. Do you really stand for Christ? Even if others fall away. It's easy to stand for Christ when you're in the middle of the crowd. Are you going to walk to the pool of Siloam and are you going to dunk yourself in the name of Jesus in front of the Jewish leaders that are right there by the pool? Will you be baptized? There is an invitation to all, 
repent and be baptized. And what we get out of it is the filling of the Holy Spirit and complete forgiveness of our sins. What is the efficacy of the gospel? I took a a shot, had two shots earlier this year, and I was told that the efficacy was 95%. I don't know if that's what they're still saying. Dr. Norbeck is shaking his head no. And I'm telling you, the efficacy of the gospel is 100%, and it hasn't changed. Forgiveness of sins, one and all, for everyone who comes. For everyone who's close, for our children, for generations that'll follow, and for the nations that are around, this gift that Jesus gave starts here in Jerusalem with Jewish people or, or Jewish converts, and it will extend to the Gentiles very soon and all the way to us. And the story hasn't changed. Come and repent, be baptized, every one of you. In verse 30 and 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. I want you to notice two phrases that stand comfortably together in this passage. In the end of verse 39, it says, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, which means there is a call from God where he's drawing people to himself. The Spirit comes into us and nudges us. The Spirit comes in and breaks our hearts. The Spirit comes in and convicts us. And there's this call. At the same time, there are people that are used by God and the power of the Spirit to exhort people to come. And how do we do that? You know, as a, as a parent, um, Jeannie and I were concerned about how, when our kids went to sleep, we were concerned about teaching them how to be clean, brushing their teeth, doing their homework, treating people nicely. We had all these things that we wanted our kids to be, and we're, we're sweating each one of those things, trying to get it right and make sure that our kids have a really good chance in this world. And somewhere, about the time they were 10 or 11, I realized all of that falls so short that if they would follow Jesus Christ. And how did I want my kids to know it? Like, here's the trade I would have made with God. I, said, I told him, I would rather you take my life now if only my children would follow you. How do we tell people? Like, their lives depend on it, and like, this is our mission. This is our job. And how do we tell them? We tell them with the same kind of grace that we would want, but I don't tell them like, hey, you know, you could be a Cub fan or a Sox fan. You could be a Christian or you cannot be a Christian. It doesn't matter. No, if, if I love my neighbors, if I love my family, I tell them like it matters. Like my words could be the words that could change their eternity. And there's a yearning, and, there's, and when I tell them, I tell them about the difference that Jesus has made in my life. How do I know that Jesus has saved me? Because he's saved the kind of parent, the kind of friend, the kind of worker. He is saving me and changing me. And as I repent again and again, the Spirit of God is changing me into a completely different person. And if you put the people that are in my Bible study in a room with the teachers that I had in junior high, the teachers would say, Todd will never amount to much. I know because I was in a conversation as a young adult where someone was in the background and that person in the background was my assistant vice principal who I spent a lot of time with in junior high. And he heard Todd's a Christian. And he started laughing, belly laughs. What's the answer? If God can save me, he can save anybody. If God can make me a pastor, laugh with me. Right? But this is what Jesus does. Turning to him means life. 
Oh, how I wish you knew. There is an invitation to follow Jesus that is in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I pray that this invitation comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking God to work in people's hearts this morning. There's a response to follow Jesus that is also in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 120 people goes to 3,000 that speak different languages from different cultures. I can't imagine the nightmare of trying to do church without any history of a church. It's a brand new church. You go from 120 to 3,000. I can't imagine the nightmare, but I can't imagine the incredible joy as the Holy Spirit knits them together and works the more, you know, you think the tongues and fire and the winds are the miracle? No, what we're about to read is the miracle. What we're about to read is saved people, radically saved people who repented in public fashion and turned from their sin and did it in front of people that could cost them their lives. And they would rather live this next week with Jesus than to not live at all. 3,000 people on fire by the Holy Spirit. 3,000 plus. This is the response that God worked out. 3,000 souls were added. 25 times 120 is 3,000. For every one person that day that was a believer, 25 more people became a believer. And maybe we think if we recaptured Peter's sermon, or we all went to the streets of Jerusalem and prayed really hard, that God would redo exactly what he did then. God, by the power of the Spirit, is writing new stories for churches all over the world. He is alive and at work. And I believe that God is writing a story in COVID for the Bridge Church. He loves us like he loves other churches. I think it's beautiful. I think God's doing something. And I don't know yet what he's doing because it doesn't seem right that we can't connect in the connection center and we can't gather when the gathering area and we can't welcome people. Drives me kind of nuts. But as we try to discover what love is and try to do church in the midst of difficulties, it's the difficulties that highlight love. It's in this context that the gospel is put on display. And I think we have a responsibility and a great privilege to be the generation that speaks into COVID about the efficacy of our Savior. So how are we to think about church growth? What should be our expectations? 3,000 people in one day, is this normal? Should we ask the Lord that next week 3,000 people gather here for Sunday service? Plus, who's here? Maybe 200 people. Let's be 3,200 next week. Can God do it? Absolutely. Why hasn't he? Why should he? Why hasn't he? Let's deal with that one first. God, if you know the story as we go through Acts, 3,000 people weren't added every day. God will do with the church what he does, and he's as much interested in our character as he is in giving these mountain-high experiences that he can do anytime he wants. But the reality is we don't tend to grow on mountaintops. We tend to grow in valleys. And he's more interested in the character that we have and our commitment to him than he is in our comfort. But Lord, it would be so cool to have a church that would be growing by leaps and bounds. And of course you'll get glory, but we're going to get some too. I mean, the Bridge Church is going to get a name and maybe we'll be on the radio, maybe on TV. Uh, Maybe we shouldn't get it just yet because the gospel isn't about us notice what peter didn't say in his sermon he didn't talk about himself very much he talked about jesus 
I think a check for my spirit is I want church growth because I love my neighbors, because I love the people at the school, because I love the community, because I want people to know. But am I okay if he does that with anyone he wants, through whom any he wants, and any church gets, I don't, it's not the church that gets the credit, it's Jesus Christ. And we make Jesus Christ's name great. That's the point. In fact, these people went home. They went home and, and, and passed the message along in their respective towns. And their respective, this, if you imagine that they built a big building, they were gathering in houses. This wasn't about the gathering. It was about individuals being saved. And individuals being changed. And a community marking the change so that more people were changed. How will they know about us? Primarily, these are Jesus' words, primarily by our love for each other. And what better time to put that on display in the last two years? Do we love each other? As Christ commanded us and as the power of spirit changes us. We are the changed people of God, put on display for a lost world. Our job is to point them to Jesus. This response to follow Jesus, you know, the question was, why doesn't he? Well, we're not God and we don't know. He could add 3,000 tomorrow. We trust him with that. We could get smaller tomorrow. He could sift us. He's been sifting us. We were close to 300. I don't know how many people are online, but we're down dramatically in COVID. As leadership, we're not nervous. God is leading the church. He will do with us whatever he wills, and our job is to repent and turn to him and put him on display. That's our job. What can we expect in church growth? I promise you, if you turn to Jesus, you'll grow. I promise you that the gospel is still the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And I promise you that Jesus will build his church with or without us. Finally, gathering of the followers of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 42 through 47. What these people became really quickly. There was no handbook on what should happen in church. They just became the church by the power of the Spirit. This is the beginning of the church. In verse 42, and they, those people who were saved, the 3,000 plus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. What does it mean they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? It's what we're doing right now. It means that every time we gather on a Sunday morning, we open this book, the apostles' teaching. We open the Bible and we see it as the word of God. And Jesus described that this word is living word and that man shall not live by bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we want you to know both by our example and by what we preach that we all desperately need the word of God to grow. And this church should always be committed if it wants to be a healthy church to the word of God. To preaching it, to following it, to obeying it, to submitting to it and to encouraging each other to follow it. I love that Kelly is constantly in the children's ministry trying to open up the Word of God for kids. I'll come by her office and she'll have uh, books open studying the Word of God so that she doesn't misspeak when she's teaching the kids about the Bible. She wants them to know the truth because it's the truth of the Word of God that will change them. When we stop being a church that's committed to the Word of God, then I want you to all come up here and confront me Todd, that service was about you, not about Jesus. Todd, we don't care as much about your opinions. We want to know what God says. Look in the Bible and see if what I'm saying rings true. Earlier on, we talked about baptism. And this is in this statement of Peter's, what should they do? Repent. 
be baptized. Forgiveness of sins, filling of the Holy Spirit. Some have latched on to that and said, well, baptism is necessary for people to be saved. Well, all we got to do is go to the Word of God. You could get groups of people with different opinions on this. What does the Word of God say? Well, you don't get past one more chapter. In Acts 3.19, it says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Peter is the one preaching again, and he doesn't use baptism. Well, does that mean that everybody who followed him in Acts 3.19 isn't saved? We study the Word of God so we can rightly divide it. You repent. That's an essential first step to salvation. You are baptized as a result of forgiveness and a declaration of your faith and the cleansing that only Christ can do. That's understanding how to handle the Word of God and preaching the Word of God. As the passage continues, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. What does fellowship mean? Honestly, it is, I'm a guy that loves people. I like being around people. I can't wait to be with you all. This last two years is killing me. I hate it. I hate, you know, I never learned in seminary this could happen in a church. There was no class on COVID. I was trying to discover what love was, but in my heart, I love the fellowship of the believers. I love being together. I love working out together. I love laughing together. I love eating together. Food should always be involved in fellowship, don't you think? And usually unhealthy food. You can keep the salads. That's like a garnish, right? Sorry. <laughs> fellowship is an essential part of being part of the body of Christ. We need each other. And we can't wait to be back to I I ask the Lord. I don't pray for weather-related stuff. I always feel like the farmers deserve more than we do. Like, I just want... I feel like if we get rained on, okay. This last week was one of the few times I prayed, God, please give us dry weather. And maybe he still will, and I was a man of little faith. Why? Because I miss you. Because I can't wait to be back together as a family. Fellowship was a part of a spirit-filled church. Breaking of bread. What is breaking of bread? Well, there's actually a debate on this. Is breaking of bread communion? Or is breaking of bread having meals together? And I would argue, using 1 Corinthians 11, um, that it doesn't matter. They kind of went together in the beginning. That people would do communion while they were doing meals together. And by 1 Corinthians 11, it was getting messed up a bit. The way we do communion is not necessarily how they did communion in the first century. And breaking bread together and eating together, although it became a difficulty for Jerusalem soon, was a part of who they were. They were hospitable. Come to my home. My Nina, my, my, my Nina, my neighbor Nina <laughs> made a suggestion to me having, having people over to your house. I think she said her garage. But Friday night was the first time we had people over to our house as the spirit was churning in my heart in response to that comment. It was so nice. And our goal is to have you all over. Every two weeks, we're going to have people over to our house. And, and Dr. Norbeck's talking about having people over to his house we need to do fellowship and break bread together. Why? Because God designed it that the people and the children of God would be knit together in love and care for each other and do life together. We need each other. And I think in some ways our church has suffered more in the last two years in COVID because we're a family church, because this is our value. Fellowship is our value. We long to be together. We're family. 
Finally, prayers. A family that prays together. So here's the confession, followed by an exhortation. I have very rarely in my life felt like I pray the way I should. I thought when I became a pastor, I would automatically become a better prayer. Seven years ago, I became a pastor. I did not automatically become a better prayer. In some ways, I became worse at it because I didn't have my truck where I did most of my praying anymore. I didn't have my little sanctuary that was mine. But my time as a pastor has changed my attitude towards prayer. It's not what I have to do. It's what I get to do. And the power of God is around prayer. The fact that we are doing a prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, and we had 90 people committed to come on Wednesday nights when we were going to do the family thing, which I thank God for that. I don't want to change that. But hardly anybody comes when we pray. We're praying on Wednesday nights, and I think... You want to go back to the church growth thing, why God might not be using us? The people of God spent the 50 days prior to Jesus, prior to the uh, Holy Spirit descending, in prayer together, asking God to work. And the Spirit of God descended on the prayers of the saints. And the power of God was on the prayers of the saints. I think we have no idea the power of prayer. I don't think I yet have caught it, and I am trying to catch it. But God, forgive us for not praying as we should and teach us to pray. If you're available on Wednesday, whether it's online or in person, come pray. Well, prayer's boring. Well, only if the Spirit of God isn't part of it. But if the Spirit of God is a part of it, it's exciting. Did you know that there's a team of people that meet in the conference room back there every Sunday before church to pray for us. When they couldn't meet there, they did it online together. I would love for that to be filled up so much that they can't meet there anymore. That they have to meet in a bigger room. Because we are so convinced that the future of our families, of our neighbors, of our church is dependent on how we pray. I think prayer not only pleases our Father and causes God to act on our behalf, I think prayer reminds us that this is God who's doing this and we don't get to take credit for it. I asked God, well, this is what God did. I trust you, Father. Oh, that we would be praying people. Verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What were those wonders and signs that God was using to bring the church together? Well, clearly one of them is what's written that follows. And all who believed, verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. What? Different nationalities, different cultures, different languages different gender, different perspectives. They have every reason for this to fail. And God, by the power of the Spirit, knits them together in love. It is one of my favorite miracles that I've seen God do with us in this church. Early on, by the way, at the first Autumn Fest is when I noticed it. October of 2014. That God knit us together as a family. It caused us to love each other and enjoy being together and encourage each other and not judge each other and not look down on each other and not bury somebody that's struggling, but encourage somebody who's struggling and help them get better, being patient with each other. I have seen the miracle of God's power in this church again and again, and I pray that we have more of it. I pray that God descends and fills us with the Spirit so that we would love in such a dramatic way that the world could not deny the existence of our Savior. We are His witnesses. All, believed, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Does that mean they agreed on everything? No, but they were so significantly changed by the power of God through Jesus Christ that what they agreed on 
overshadowed the things they disagreed on in such a way that they were unified. They agreed on Christ. They agreed on Christ. And in agreeing on Christ, the things that would divide us get super small. Verse 45, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. All right, this is narrative. This isn't command. This isn't what everybody's supposed to do who becomes a Christian. In this early church, there were poor people all around them and people who had possessions. Many of them were selling what they had and distributing it to the poor. How changed were they? This isn't as people that are like hedging their bets and saying, I only want to repent a little. They're saying, I am going to be a Christ follower and if Jesus gave all for me, I will give all for him. Would you want to go to a church like this? Or would it scare you? Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, if you know the story, the church was still messed up. There were still sinners in it. It wasn't perfect. But when God's power was among them, God's character showed up among them. And people were saved. We have a phrase around here at the bridge. We want the miracle. We don't want our best efforts. We want the miracle. And if we can't have the miracle, we want to go to a church that gets the miracle. When we stop seeing the power of God among us and having him change us, when we stop longing for that and praying to that end, then one of the things I liked saying at that point when we were starting the church, I'd rather join a bowling league than this church. Because at least they're honest about who they are. They're there to bowl. Are we here to worship our Savior? Are we here to call Him Lord? Are we here to follow Him and trust Him with our future? I want the miracle. And I'm just bold enough to believe that God would use even me. Even if my vice principal from junior high thinks that's funny. I think that's okay. All the more my Savior gets the credit. As we close and get ready to celebrate together and have fun, I can't believe how quiet the kids were. You guys are like, I was expecting a little more kid noises. Somebody, you know, remind me they're out there. There we go. (laughs) There we go. Good job. As we close, um, I want you to have the opportunity to repent and be saved. And I can't offer this to you without it costing you. But Jesus made a promise that if you lose your life, you'll gain your life. It's in giving our lives away that we truly live. If I could go back to junior high or to high school at 14 years old when I gave my life to Jesus, and I surrendered and I risked that people wouldn't like me as I started talking about my faith in Jesus. And some didn't. Some ridiculed me. Stood up in class, at philosophy class and comparative religions class and said that I was a Christian and one guy stood up next to me, big guy, and called me out. You're a... You're crazy, man. And I'm here at 57 years old to tell you that I'm crazy for Jesus. And oh, that the world would know about the efficacy of our Savior. So as I lead you in prayer, I would like two responses today for those who want. For those who would repent and be saved, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. 
And for those of us that want a church for a miracle, that has a miracle in it, this is not going to be great leadership and great people showing up. This is people that are trusting a great God. Then I would say join me in prayer. Asking, beseeching God to work in our church for the sake of our neighbors and friends. So the first prayer for those who would repent. It's really simple, just as simple as the verse. If you bow your heads and you can quietly repeat after me, if you want to be bold, you can repeat out loud. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I turn from that sin to Jesus. I trust that he died for my sin so that I could be forgiven. I trust that he rose again so that I could rise again. And I want him to be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. And for those of you who would pray for our church to be the church that God wants us to be, would you stand and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we don't want the church that we can build. We want the church that you want. We are so thankful that you saved us. We're so thankful that you called us to be a family, a little portion of the church called the Bridge Church. Father, would you teach us to forgive each other? Would you teach us to love each other and how to be committed to each other? Would you help us to celebrate the good relationships that we have? Help us to celebrate our kids and make them feel loved and wanted in church. Father, may we never turn a person away who you love. And you love us all. May we never make someone feel like they don't belong when you've declared that we belong. Would you make us the church? Would you give us the miracle that was intended for us? In Jesus' name, amen.